Welcome to TA1, everything you want to know about adventure racing and then some. I'm your host, legendary Randy Erickson. Uh, this week's conversation started in a bar in New Zealand um, with uh, Craig Cook. Craig uh, had some interesting things to say about the race, and I asked him on, and he said, no, I don't think so, but then changed his mind. So it's uh, an interesting conversation about compounding one little thing just uh, spreads out through the whole race so I think it's going to be really interesting um, and it was his birthday this week so of course we had to have a uh, you know whenever I can put out a birthday boy podcast so hope you enjoy that and it's been quiet on the home front I was uh, shooting a project this weekend with Greg Gleason who's been on the podcast Go search the episode. He's a really good uh, gravel grinder racer, doing going for the uh, individual time trial for the Black Hills Expedition, which is 430 miles through the Black Hills. Unfortunately, we got a lot of rain, even after he started the day early to miss the rain, um, and it was not getting any better later on, farther down the course. He had like seven inches last night, so... Um, probably going to redo it again. I think it was interesting um, following his dots to catch up with him. I had to change my mindset a little bit because uh, check this out. One guy on a mountain bike that's uh, really, really fit goes pretty fast. Um, I had to recalibrate from adventure racing dots to uh, mountain bike racing dots. So Kind of fun. Um, wish it had... Uh, been a little longer, but uh, hey, I might not have gotten this out today. So always find, always look for the union label, silver lining, whatever it is. So um, here we go. Oh, oh yeah, um, the Nomad Journey Racing 48-hour race is coming up in, uh, I don't know, three or four weeks. You can still get there. I think it's going to be a cool race. There's going to be a lot of really good racers there. Um Hey, you get to raft the Royal Gorge. So um, check the link in the show notes. You can still get there. And actually, I think I've seen some people looking for teammates. So maybe go to Adventure Race Teammate Finder on Facebook. Um, so if they're still looking, you can still get in. And I'll be there, right? So cool. Um, that's it. Go fast, take chances. And uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks for yeah, listening. Very good, Matt. Very good. Just been dropping kids off at school and dodging the rain, so not too bad. Well, I, it's really weird because I never quite get used to knowing that it's like a day, different day there. <laughs> yeah. And when I was there, it was hard to realize that it was a different day here. Yeah. It's, it's all very odd, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it's just the way it is, I guess. Yeah. So, <coughs> well... I have somewhat of a voice today, so we should be good. All right. Cool, mate. Sounds good. So um, let's start this the traditional way. And uh, why don't you introduce yourself? Because otherwise I just have to say this is some guy I met in a bar in New Zealand. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that sounds pretty traditional around, around New Zealand. <coughs> yeah. For sure. So. So, I mean, I am Craig Cook. We were part of, or I was part of the Taranaki Better Tester team at God's Own this year. And, uh, yeah, we gave a, gave it our best shot. 
So, how how big a deal is it for like the average adventurous person in New Zealand to do God Zone? Uh, it's definitely considered as the pinnacle of putting yourself to the test. Um, there's a lot of people. I mean, there's still a lot of people that don't know about God's Own or exactly what adventure racing is, but at the same time, uh, those that do know, know that it's very extreme and that mm. um, yeah, when you're an average athlete like myself, you've got to be pretty crazy to take it on and give it a go. So, But then at the same time, I think people um, uh, do admire your courage or um, <laughs> ability to uh, consider giving it a go. Yeah, so at least you don't have to, ex- you know, spend half the day explaining what an adventure race is, right? You know, if somebody, if you're talking to somebody and you say, "Oh yeah, we're going to God's Own," they they kind of know. Yeah, I mean, definitely over the last, I mean, obviously God's Own's been going five years, but certainly after the last two or three years, um, God's Own as a as an event is certainly a lot more recognised now, and people definitely have a, a better understanding of what it is and what's involved, but. I mean, I think it was a pretty good example this year with Richie on board that uh, a lot more um, new people to the sport sort of hooked in and had a look at it, but didn't really know what it involved. So, I mean, it's still very much a minority sport, but um, it's certainly growing very rapidly at the moment. And uh, there's events popping up all over the countryside, and there's also a very strong um, secondary school um, network and event as well um, running in the country. Yeah, so in, in it, I really want to. We'll get to your race because I think it was pretty interesting. But how how big a deal was it with Richie McCaw doing the race? I mean, I don't I don't think. Uh, well, obviously, I know the average American person doesn't know, but I don't even know if the the people that listen to this podcast know how big a deal it was. Yeah, I mean, it's huge. I mean, if you're talking, probably one of the top two or three uh, sports people in New Zealand, Richie McCaw's right up there, along with probably Lydia Coe, golfer, and maybe um, Stephen Adams playing in for the Oklahoma Thunder in the NBA. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's huge. And he just turned down a knighthood um, last year, I think it was, and then he's also been awarded the New Zealand Order of Merit, who only 20 new living New Zealanders get that award. And for him to get it at the age of 34 is pretty huge and that sort of indicates how highly he's regarded in the country um, as far as his impact on this on the race is concerned my brother he knew that I did God's own a couple of years ago but uh, this time around uh, because of the Richie factor obviously it was on TV quite a bit more so he sort of decided to tune in on it and see what this was all about and yeah, it was quite amazing. My brother was absolutely hooked on it and couldn't stop watching the dots and got up in the middle of the night to see where we were and such things, and that was all purely, <coughs> purely down to the yeah. Richie factor. Oh, pretty cool. Mm. So, <clears throat> um, so what's your background? What did, what did you do before you became an adventure racer? Uh, I guess for the best part of 20 years, I was a surfy bum traveling around the world, surfing different locations. So I guess you could say adventure and travel and such things was always uh, in my bloodstream to a certain degree. Mm. Then I guess about, well, probably going back almost 10 years ago, I got into a bit of off-road running with a friend who was training for the coast to coast um, and really enjoyed that. And so from there, I, 
I got into a little bit of multi-sport, which in New Zealand here is basically um, biking, kayaking, and, and running. Uh, and the coast yeah. coast goes across the South Island of New Zealand, so and it's quite an iconic event in New Zealand. Um, so via that, I sort of I ended up actually creating my own North Island crossing, um, which takes three days and it's 450 kilometres. Um, and I did that with just a um, a group of six friends, and we crossed North Island a couple of times. So just sort of, I got into a few multi sport events, I guess, and, and such things, but didn't do a lot. And then. Yeah. Um, slowly developed from there and I finally went down and did the coast to coast in the South Island uh, back in I think it was 2013 and because I had crossed the North Island both in both directions I decided to actually cross the South Island in both directions in the same week so I went down and went from East Coast to West Coast and then had a day's rest and travelled down to uh, Kamara and then did the states coast to coast as well and after that I actually sort of thought well if I can do four days pretty big days in the space of a week maybe I can actually do the God Zone and that sort of gave me the first inkling that maybe we should give it a go physically anyway. That's that's cool um, and coast to coast is, seems to be kind of one of those rites of passage for most um, New Zealand athletes too right? Yeah absolutely I mean I think about 20,000 people have done that event now and yeah it's just iconic um, I mean it's, it involves road bike um, but then there's a very tough 33 kilometer run over a mountain pass and a 67 kilometer pedal through the Wairi Gorge and that's a beautiful paddle and so you can do it in two days or you can do it uh, in one day and it's about 245 kilometers in total and it's been going 32 years, I think, and, and it's, as I say, it's an iconic event that everyone has on their bucket list. <laughs> yeah, cool. Um, all right, we got to go back a little bit, though, because I don't think I have ever met somebody that spent 20 years surfing around the world. <laughs> <laughs> so were you, were you a surf bum? Did you compete? What was, what was that lifestyle like? Um, it was purely... Uh, just the love of the sport, I guess, but also wanting to find that perfect wave and and different, you know, go to different places and and explore really. And for me, it was never about competing. You know, my, a bit like my adventure racing, I'm very average and such things. But I enjoyed the challenge of surfing big waves, but also trying to find the perfect waves and you know, just sort of getting it to yourself or with just a few friends and such things. So yeah, it's it's just a lifestyle really, and so I just worked a lot of part-time jobs and sort of revolved around, you know, sort of traveling around the globe pretty much. Yeah. Well, that was my question too because, and I always have this, it's like, how do you, how do you people, and I'm including you in this, go surfing for six months a year? It's like, you know, it's not cheap. <laughs> uh, I mean, back in the days, you know, I'm talking back in the 80s and such things, it wasn't too bad. I remember the first time I went to Indonesia and I had a room that cost me one dollar a day. Uh, so back in the day, sort of in the 80s and 90s and that, you could travel around pretty cheap. And my wife and I, we spent, uh, what was it, about six, seven months traveling around Europe in a combi van. And so we're living on um, vegetable soup and curried vegetable rice and bits and pieces. So um, just camping out and, and traveling to all the, the spots around Europe and such things. So yeah, you can do it pretty cheap if, if you want to and, and such things. Okay, well, I'll accept that. Um, would you like to go back and do that again now? Um, 
surfing's really a young person sport. It's, uh, okay. You got to be pretty fit and agile, um, and also uh, I don't do much surfing these days, mainly because I've put a lot of time and effort into training for God's own. But um, when I have surfed, you know, one of my knees has given me a little bit of trouble, and just getting up and standing upright on smaller surf is uh, becoming a bit of a struggle. So. I mean, I'd still like to do some more travel and go to some of those tropical locations and, and still give it another go, but um, it's not high on the priority list. All right. So um, was surfing all your background? And, and my reasoning is is it seems like a lot of adventure racers come from a a, a water background. And, and my theory is, is that you have to make so many decisions when you're in the water almost instantaneously that adventure racing almost seems easy. Yeah, I, they're both difficult sports to learn. Um, the yeah, I mean the draw of the surfing is more um, just getting out there with friends and having fun. But I guess in New Zealand we have so much coastline um, that no one is more than the whole country. It's quite incredible. No one is more than two hours from the coastline. So it doesn't yeah. where you live, whether it's in the middle of the North Island or in the middle of the mountains or somewhere, you no more than two kilometres from the coast. So we have a lot of rivers, lakes, and um, coastlines. So everyone, particularly in the summertime, obviously, spend a lot of time in the water. So, yeah, it's pretty water-orientated. Yeah. I guess that's probably... The country's kind of unique that way. That Yeah, because you... Tell me if I'm wrong, but can't you like uh, go snow skiing in the morning and surf in the afternoon? Yeah, absolutely. I live in Taranaki, which is on the west coast of the North Island, and where I'm sitting here right at the moment, I'm probably about a half a kilometre from the beach, and mm. uh, yeah, for sure I could go surfing in the morning, and we have a mountain in our backyard here where there is a, a local ski field, and <coughs> it is probably less than an hour's drive away. Uh, wow. So you can be probably up on the ski field in an hour and a half, two hours. Um, so yeah, you can jump in your car at lunchtime and have a ski in the afternoon if you want. Yeah, and I and I'm guessing that people, you know, I'm the kind of person would be like, okay, I don't surf, I don't ski very much, but I'm kind of like, if I did, I'd be like, yeah, let's do that because it'd just be fun. <laughs> yeah, well, there's actually an event that they hold locally here, and it's it's a combination of. Um, surfing ability and skiing ability so they'll have, they have a surf competition one day and then they'll go up the mountain and have a ski competition the next day so it's quite unique that that's yeah oh okay here's a here's a question what's what's the most unusual race that you know of in new zealand you know skiing and surfing is pretty weird or unusual but is there something even that when you tell me, I'm going to go like, no way? Uh, off the top of my head, I can't think of anything that's too okay. left field, but um, there are a lot of different events around, and, and uh, a few, few things have definitely been tried over the years, but no, off the top of my head, I can't think of anything too bizarre. Okay. Well, we we both know there's some weird race somewhere that we don't, have, don't know about, right? Well, I mean, New Zealand does world champs quite often and uh sheep shearing and wood chopping so i guess they're unusual sports there you go i combine that with a little skiing a little you know a little white water kayaking and yeah and probably <laughs> rounding up sheep as well so yeah yeah um so let's 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 talk about the race because i think you know 
you you told me a little bit in email and it's it's really interesting how your race went um and i guess the first thing is i i think this is sort of a badge of honor for you guys but you were the oldest team in the race yeah yeah we had we are and um yeah i mean basically the core of our team from the two times that we've done god's own uh is ellison russell myself and grant hildred um, Ellie and Grant this time around were 59. Um, I'm the spring chicken at 52. Um, so yeah, we're always the oldest, and, and really we're very inexperienced as far as when it came comes to adventure racing. Um, and that kind of shows a little bit in our our performance, but that sort of creates more of a challenge for us as well. That you know it's a big event, it's difficult. We're inexperienced and we're very old, so. Um, but we felt we had the physical ability to, to do it and give it a good nudge, so we decided to, to give it a crack and good kings yeah. on. So, um, do you, is it kind of like, yeah, we're old and slow, but we know what we're doing, we don't care, we're going to have fun? Is that your sort of the philosophy? Yeah, I mean, I guess ultimately we believe in ourselves that we can do yeah. it if we get things right. Um, you know, physically, we we believe we're while we're not fast, we think we're strong enough and fit enough. And we've all done a lot of events over a long period of time, um, yeah. and have that pretty good solid base of um, endurance and fitness. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it's just a matter of just going. Well, hey, heck, we're getting old. <laughs> we haven't got too many <laughs> left in us. So, if we're going to do it, we better do it now. Yeah, but um, do you sort of re- revise that upwards as you get older? You know, you think when you're 40, like, oh, I'm about done. And then when you hit 50, you think, well, okay, I'm about done. And then when you hit 60, you think, well, I'm about done. Kind of, but I think we're just delusional as well that we <laughs> we believe we're still young and we can still do it and and, uh, and make it. But it, I think reality is starting to hit home and, and uh, we're getting to the end of our, our tether. So um, is that a little bit sad? Yeah, absolutely, but at the same time, I mean, we can still be involved in the sport in other ways, yeah. and Alice and yeah. I actually went down and volunteered at Wanaka last year, so while our uh, competing might be coming to an end, you know, we can do smaller events, I guess, and maybe we'll go back and do the pursuit or something, but um, there's, there's definitely other ways that we can still be involved in the sport and participate. So, yeah, well, you know... It won't be too many years. There'll be enough of us that we can have a, a master's division <laughs> for adventure racing. Yeah, absolutely. I'll be there. Yeah. So um, let's let's walk me through your race. You know, we're sitting. Let's just say we're sitting. We're sitting in the bar again, and uh, I'm like, oh, how was your race? Well, ultimately, at the end of the day, disappointing. Um, we didn't achieve what we wanted to achieve, which was full course, obviously. Um, but I mean from the start we, we didn't want to get behind at the beginning which is kind of what we did wrong in, in Kaikoura so we learned from that and we didn't want to get too far back in the pack but the first 24 hours it was kind of one of those races that if anything could go wrong it did go wrong uh, yeah. and while that's ultimate, ultimately not what cost us our full course ambition it certainly didn't help but just for example on the first coast steering leg um, I lost my reading glasses in the swim. 
Um, then we got down to the kayaks and I broke the strap on my watch and, and my watch fell off. Um, so I was constantly having to ask everyone what the time was, um, which is just annoying. And then our kayak, you know, didn't go as well as we had anticipated and hoped. Um, the big yellow boats didn't really help me and Ross too much in, in that respect, but we still yeah. got through it. And I mean, we were finished kayaking by five o'clock. Um, so I was actually quite happy with that because I think they put an estimate of four to six hours on the um, kayak leg with coast hearing and kayaking and so we essentially had knocked it out in four hours so you know as far as I was concerned we were on schedule even though we were a little bit further back in the pack than I would yeah. like. Do you think it was just everybody was just faster at the start than, than they thought because obviously you were doing pretty well but you felt you were were too far back. Yeah, I think yes. in general this year and possibly even last year, the, the overall competitiveness of the field is a lot, lot stronger. Um, I mean, just even the finishing rate this year was extremely high. Um, but I think, yeah, the the I guess everyone's learnt a lot and put a bit more effort in, and yeah, the pace of the field in general I think was a lot, lot better yeah. and faster this year. So. What is, I mean, how does that affect you? Because you have a good time. I mean, you know, you do, you know, you're, you're on schedule, but you're not, you're not where you think you should be. Are you, are you fine with that because you're on schedule or are you like, how come we're, you know, not 10 places up like we thought we should be? I mean, it was frustrating. A couple of little problems and, and such things we had. We had a bit of an issue with the backpack as well, but and I mean, some of those things you can you should eliminate, but some of them are yeah. going to happen in a race. So you're just always reevaluating. And yeah, no, it, certainly at that stage it was very very early in the race, so we weren't yeah. panicking or worried about it. And we were sort of, as I say, I, um, I sort of had a bit of a schedule in mind because when we got the course uh, and had a look at it, I actually gave my wife one final phone call and. And I said to her, look, the, the crux of this race is going to be getting over the Red Hills by Sunday night. And if we can do that, then we've got a good shot at doing the full course. So we sort of sat down and I thought, well, if we can get through the paddle in five, five hours and be on the bikes by six o'clock, then we're doing all right. So, no, I was still very comfortable with that, even though obviously we we're just a little bit further back than I would have liked. Yeah. yeah. So you were still, I mean, you were basically still on your race at that time even with even with the little niggly problems you were still doing okay yeah i mean we're always on our race because um we can't compete with the um top guys we would have liked to have been a little bit more mid-pack so that we sort of got dragged along but um we sort of knocked off the road gain on the mountain bike um quite comfortably in the afternoon on on the saturday um and then set off on the ride up towards the richmond ranges and once we got up on the Richmond Ranges, I mean, anyone who was in the race but probably followed the race as well knows that on that Saturday night, the visibility up on top there was pretty horrendous. Uh, yeah. um, and a lot of teams had problems up there. And we actually, I guess, caught a lot of teams because that time there was five or six teams standing around trying to work out where we were, where we were going. So, um, yeah, no, we were still quite happy with the way we were progressing at that stage. Yeah. So... <clears throat> Excuse me. So no real problems on the bike, right? You just you got to the TA okay? Yeah, Ellie did a fantastic job up there. She she did the nav on the mountain bike, and obviously mm -hmm. you know, we worked together as well, but um, she essentially did it, and a lot of teams had problems up there, and it was one of those situations where 
the roads on the ground didn't really match what was on the map. Uh, yep. And eventually, I mean, a lot of teams were going around in circles, and I, I think we got through there quite efficiently in the respect that um, I think we went half K down one road, came back, found a junction, headed off in a direction, and then we found a road that was heading in the right direction, it was heading downhill, so that's what we were looking for. And it turned out to be a bulldozer track and down through a lot of gorse and we ended up in a farmer's back paddock. But um, it got us to the bottom and it got us pretty much where we wanted to be. Um, But the fog was so bad up the top there that a couple of times we came to a clearing where the bulldozer had been doing some work on some logs. We literally had to get off the bikes and almost hands out in front of us, sort of going, well, crikey, does this track carry on here or where is it? And we stumbled around in the dark at times, you know, for a few minutes to actually find the track again before it continued on downhill so yeah it was pretty hard work up there but we actually got through it really well and we finished that uh, mountain bike about four or five in the morning I think which once again was pretty much on schedule for us mm-hmm. yeah so so then you headed up to the Red Hills <laughs> yes we did um, which was uh, figured pretty prominently in I, I, I'm saying everybody's race right i mean pretty much it was the crux of the race right yeah it was because as i say you know we really wanted to get over the red hills um on the sunday and you know leaving at sort of six in the morning i think we got away from the ta you know we thought right we've got the whole day to get up there and we were feeling pretty comfortable and pretty happy and uh, physically we were feeling very good um even though we hadn't slept but this is where we made our monumental uh mark up and it's almost embarrassing to say so, but purely and simply, we hadn't read the guidebook thoroughly enough. And while we'd marked the third trek leg um, as per to the guidebook, we missed out the fact that on the first trek you had to go up the Gibbs Spur. And I, when I marked the maps, I'd seen two tracks, and we decided to take the one up the four-wheel drive track that headed up a valley through the bush um, up to a ridge, and we headed off on this track and it was um, you know, it was easy going and such things, it was good travel and we thought oh, this is alright but we were sort of going well, there's not many footprints here and gee after about an hour we hadn't seen any teams and we thought this is a little bit bizarre and we got to the end of the four wheel drive track where it turned into the bush track and finally we pulled out the guidebook and realised our blunder and the fact that we were supposed to go up the Gibbs Spur um, we then worked out how to get over there via some forestry roads and, and such things and, and such things but we essentially lost four or five hours and covered about an extra 12 kilometres which yeah. um, there were four very angry people down in, by the river when we realised our mistake but the, I guess the issue for us was the fact that for us to make the full course we knew we didn't have a lot of leeway in time and that we could yeah. afford too many mistakes so to lose four or five hours on such a rookie mistake and blunder was very very frustrating yeah yeah this and this is what one of the things that really fascinates me about you is is i you say you were angry and i'm i'm guessing it was uh not very fun for a while but eventually right you come together and you figure it out and you just keep going right how do you how do you do that yeah, I guess you refocus. Um, yeah. You know, we just simply looked at it. Um, I mean, yeah, I think while we were first walking up to the forestry road, we were all a little bit uh, quiet and sort of 
in our moment. We had a little bit of a debate with, you know, which way should we be going? But obviously the guidebook mm-hmm. said you had to go up good spur. So to, to myself and Ali, there was certainly no um, doubt, you know, that's what we had to do. So we had yeah. to start heading back in that direction. And as I said, the guys, um, when we got, you know, walking along towards back towards Gibbs Spur, that you know, we still had two and a half days to make the cut off. So I mean, we weren't yeah. out of the race. Um, we just, you know, lost ourselves a few hours. That's all. So um, we certainly refocused and readjusted and such things. But I mean, what we'll get to, I guess, is the fact that you make one mistake and you lose time, and often it compounds. And yeah. that's what eventually happened to us later on on, Thursday, on Sunday night. Yeah, yeah, because you you wasted you wasted four hours of daylight, right? Yeah, yeah, and then and and four hours of daylight is you know maybe that adds six hours you know at night then so yeah I see what you say it just keeps compounding it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we we got to the Gibbs Spur and we started work, working our way up there. And to be honest, I don't know if it was the. Um, we were a little bit down because we'd made a mistake, but we seemed to be traveling really, really slow up there, and it's like mm. we were all struggling a little bit on Sunday, um, basically. Yeah. It was also one of those days that one minute was hot and sunny, and the next minute was cloudy and windy. So there was, we traveled quite inefficiently up Gibbs Spur, where yeah, there were several stops for taking jackets on or for putting jackets on and such things. and yeah. Yeah, we, we didn't travel very quickly and efficiently there, but we got to the top eventually and we worked our way along the ridge tops and, and such things. And um, Ross had a bit of an episode with sleep monsters and such things and thought he could see teams ahead of us and we're sort of standing there going, oh, can't see anything, so <laughs> not too sure about that. But um, So I, I guess we were traveling quite slow on the Sunday and ultimately and eventually we, we got within about... Oh, not even a kilometre of track junction that would have led us downhill and it was right on dusk and a northwest change came through um, and visibility went down to 20-30 metres I guess in the space of two minutes and the wind just got up to gale force and we instantly thought, croaking, you know, we need to set up a tent here, we can't see anything, this weather's horrendous and, and uh, yeah, so we found a, a spot to set up a tent, basically. Yeah. <coughs> well, and that's part of the compounding, because if you'd had a, that other four hours, right, you'd probably been off. And yeah. Yeah. Well, every, we everybody would. Where we pitched the tent to the Red Hills was only about five kilometres. Um, so I mean, if we had had those extra four or five hours, we would have, I think, quite easily made it up over the Red Hills and and been down the other side and probably been sheltered. And, and we were planning on a three, four hour sleep um, that night because we hadn't had any sleep at this stage. Um, so we just wanted to sort of um, get as far as we could and then have a sleep. But the fact that this weather hit us and we weren't the only team to just take shelter that night. I think most teams that were on the on that side of the Red Hills um, did likewise. I think the Japanese might have been one of the few teams that actually went through the night and got over the Red Hills on Sunday night. Um, and I take my hat off to them, but I know of two other teams, Tussock Jumpers were one of them, they actually didn't even manage to get a tent up, It was the weather was so bad, and they literally sheltered behind rocks for the whole night and, and such things, so you certainly don't get much t- uh, sleep, and our tent, uh, we got it set up on some moss, but you know where, where it was, was in, a, in one corner of the tent was a hollow, and 
in your sleeping bags, everyone was just sliding down to one end of the tent. Um, so we were all sort of crammed in there and eventually one of the poles broke. Um, Ross, to his credit, got out and did the hard work of actually trying to put the pole back together and get the tent up and the, the fly on the tent was hanging off and it was flapping in this, I guess it was probably 80k winds. Um, it was like you're up on Everest and this fly, tent fly was just flapping all night. We were lying on our sides with one arm up trying to hold the tent up off us and such things. It was a horrendous night. It, was, it wasn't much fun, but the downside of that and the camp compounding factor was the fact that we wanted three or four hours sleep, but we ended up spending nine hours in the tent. But whether we got much sleep at all is debatable. And uh, yeah. But once again, uh, we'd lost so much time. We'd essentially now lost 10 hours that um, when we got up in the morning, we knew our chances of making the full course were pretty much gone. And uh, so we once again had to reevaluate. Yeah, well, and that's yeah, I mean that's sort of adventure racing, right? You're you're almost reevaluating every couple of hours just on where you've been and what's what's happening. So that's kind of normal. Yeah, it is absolutely. And I mean, you're always uh, doing little calculations in your head, I guess, and, and trying to work out where you are and how you're going and such things. But I mean, it was it was. Yeah, we were so close to that other track and, and such things, it was unfortunate. But when we got up in the morning, it was still pretty misty and still very windy. And and um, Warren had said that the Red Hills was quite extreme. Um, yeah. So it's sort of partly on a, a safety basis. But um, I also knew on a time factor that if we went and got checkpoints 10 and 11, that we weren't going to make the full course anyway. Um, so yeah. we actually made a, a quite a... A easy team decision to miss checkpoints 10 and 11 and we actually headed off um, on what was probably part of the pursuit course over Mount Ella and but then we headed down towards the river and, and decided we were still going to get checkpoint 12 up at BB's Heart so we yeah. headed off in that direction and pretty poor visibility and nav still wasn't that easy but we managed to get along there quite well and and made some really good progress on the Monday morning yeah I mean does it does that kind of um, once you're moving, you know, you're kind of moving well, things are going a little better. Does it improve your spirits a little bit? Yeah, well, certainly once we got off Mount Ella and and out of the fog and onto a decent track, and we moved along really quite well. And I mean, we just had to face the fact that we'd made a mistake um, and yeah. it, it had cost us. Um, and you know. Our, our new goal was basically, well, let's see if we can still do the full course, but obviously we will have missed two checkpoints. Um, yeah. and we became un unranked, but you know, we still had a, a goal in mind, and, and we were still staying very positive and focused, and we pushed on pretty hard, and we made good progress on the Monday until we got to the river. Um, we had to climb up over a little hill where we got bluffed out, and that actually cost us almost two hours. Um, and so all of a sudden, you know, we stopped and ate some food and it got dark and we had hoped to get across the the um, river up onto the BB's Ridge um, before dark. But you know, mm -hmm. it's just, once again, ra adventure racing, it's the way things work out. You don't don't go to plan. But we got down to the river and got across the river quite well, um, found a really good place to cross. And we were right on track of... of um, what we'd marked on our maps where we wanted to navigate and we crossed the river and, and headed our way up to BB's Ridge um, but once again it was very much a case of um, we'd spotted some forestry on the 
uh, ridge line. And we thought, oh, mm-hmm. forestry will be nice and easy to travel through. Um, but as of, is often the case with adventure racing, <laughs> things are never easy. And yeah. we got up to the top there, man, and these, these trees were just incredible. They were this sort of blue spruce fir type tree, but they're only about three, four meters high. And they had all these low branches and had never yeah. been pruned. And we were literally crawling on the ground trying to get under them, past them, and such things. And at one stage, I had to pull Grant out by his feet because he was stuck basically under <laughs> the trees. <coughs> and it took us took us about two or three hours to gain 200 meters in altitude. Um, and these trees also held an incredible amount of uh, moisture uh, on their foliage. And so every time you went past them, you got soaking wet. We, we finally got to the top of the ridge and we were pretty wet and cold and I started to get a little bit hypothermic um, which was the second night in a row actually uh, yeah. but we managed to get moving and warmed up and we put some clothes on and such things and got down to BB's hut about two in the morning yeah. and and people listening to this let's remind them this is like day two day three day two <laughs> yeah this was on the Monday night so we'd already had yeah. Saturday night up on the Richmond Range in, in the fog. Yeah. Um, we then got <coughs> on Sunday night, um, and yeah. then we were once again wet and cold on the Monday night. Uh, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm sensing a theme here of wet and cold at night. Yeah, yeah. I guess just our timing was bad, and this is once again yeah. where compounding hurt us because um, if we hadn't made our original mistake, we'd, if we had got over the Red Hills, we would have been attacking a lot of this in the daytime. And yeah. we probably would have got through it a lot easier, a lot faster, because you can see what's around you and such things, and you can make better choices. So mm-hmm. instead of being a compounding negative, it probably would have been a compounding positive. Um, yeah. I mean, as the old saying goes in adventure racing, you can never gain time, you can only ever lose it. But um, yeah. I think if we'd got over the Red Hills on the Sunday night, we would have um, been well ahead and, and made it, making some good travel through the daytime rather than at night. And, but we did seem to get caught every night and wet cold conditions for sure yeah, it's uh i'm i'm not i'm not laughing although i am a little bit <laughs> oh we were I times mean, because it was almost comical it's just like oh yeah here we go again bush bashing and crawling on the ground and <laughs> in the mud and the rain and the drizzle and the yeah. fog and the wind and and such things so yeah i mean it got to the stage where all you could do really was laugh yeah and then you're thinking man I, I paid a lot of money to be this miserable <laughs> Oh, yeah, it's part of the fun. We actually quite enjoy it. The tough yeah. is the better we go sometimes. It's sort of we just dig deep and, and go hard. But, yeah, so we got to that TA um, eventually on Tuesday morning, um, mm-hmm. about 8 o'clock. And, but, and we looked and went, well, we've still got 12 hours to make the cutoff. Uh, 24 hours, sorry, to make the cutoff. So mm-hmm. let's just go as hard as we can and see if we can make it. Yeah. So, and, and I don't want to say the that the course got easier from there, but he did seem like he got a little respite in there with the O course and, and paddling. Did, did, does that kind of recharge you a little bit or feel like you're moving good? Yeah, we actually, you know, the Tuesday was actually a nice day. So, yeah, it was good to be on the bikes um, and it was easy riding, but row gaining is not our strength. Um, mm-hmm. So that leg between um, the two lakes took us way longer than it should have um yeah. i think it took us about seven hours um and their estimate was two and a half to four hours so um yeah we were, we were just slow through there um which was you know putting pressure on us i guess but we got to the lake 
late afternoon and we had a beautiful paddle up that lake and it was quite funny because that paddle was one that we weren't really looking forward to we thought oh, yeah, inflatable canoes on a lake and such things it's going to be yeah. hard work and probably a little bit fr frustrating but um yeah we had a beautiful sunset and beautiful calm water on that lake heading up there in the evening and and uh we ended up navigating by stars for the last hour or so um the southern cross was right up at the head of the lake and you could see the two yeah. pointers and the two pointers were literally pointing down towards the corner of the lake where we wanted to head so it was as a Kiwi, you know, with the Southern Cross, it was actually pretty cool to actually yes. cruise up the lake and navigate by stars because in the pitch black on a lake, you could very easily go around and around in circles. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, di I didn't get to be there at dark, but I can imagine. I mean, there's nothing out there. Yeah. <laughs> and it would be dark, dark. So um, so then you had the next the next trek over the uh, moles. Moles Hut, Moles, yeah. whatever it is. How did that go for you? Yeah, we got to the transition there where the hot food was available, and, yeah. and uh, we tried to transition as quick as we we could because we wanted to push on. But um, and we got away from there, I think, about nine or ten o'clock at night, and we were getting a lot of mixed reports on which was the best way to go. Um, yeah. But after what three nights already of wet, cold conditions, um, the the more direct route sounded like there was a lot of log jam, a bit of tree fall, and and such things in a lot of water. So we sort of decided that, you know, I think psychologically having another night of battling through wet and cold and log jams and such things wasn't gonna be that easy for us. So we decided to take the track route, uh, which we, it was longer and we knew this was gonna make it probably difficult and probably unlikely that would make the cutoff. But we got on that track and we just went as far and as hard as we could for the night and uh, but once again, at five o'clock in the morning, we ended up on top of the mole saddle. Um, and I've never seen tussock like it, but it was like six foot high and once again, soaking wet and it even had a bit of ice on it and such things. And I was literally um, pushing through this tussock um, and it was head high and it was, as I say, just wet. And even the ground was very uh, boggy and swamp. Um, so you sort of up to your ankles in cold, muddy water as well. Um, so yeah, at 5 a.m. in the morning, Sort of sitting up on the saddle there going um we're not going to make this cut off we're going to get short course so um it was disappointing but we yeah. tried our hardest and and uh from the time we got out of the tent on monday morning through to wednesday midday wednesday i think we traveled pretty much 54 hours and only had three hours sleep so you sort of can't say that we didn't try um yeah but ultimately we were just too slow and and had to face the fact that we were going to get short course. So once again, we had to reevaluate and reset our goals and, and headed off down towards the TA. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, it wasn't really a shock that you got short course. You, you, you sort of could see it coming, right? But how disappointing is it? Um, yeah, I mean, we, we knew it was going to be tough, particularly after the point of gain. Should have been through here quicker and, and easier, but um, yeah, it's a tough pill to swallow. Uh, yeah. But really, I mean, at the end of the day, all we missed out on was the 50k um, river paddle, which yeah. would have been fun. Uh, instead of that, we got about a 30k mountain bike ride. Um, and then the only other bit that was shortened for us was the third trek um, over Mount Owen. Uh, yeah. 
So we didn't get to go right up over Mount Owen, but the course they sent us on was actually pretty interesting. Um, it was up a really cool ridge line, and the cool thing about it was actually we got fantastic views looking back across the Mount Owen, which is a spectacular mountain. And yeah, um, and the nav through the middle part of that was quite interesting as well and and challenging enough. Um, so. Um, and we hooked up with a few other teams, including the Japanese and Tussock Jumpers, and I think the girls from Queenstown and that. And we sort of um, leapfrogged each other at different times through there and, and, and such things. So we really enjoyed that uh, day. Um, it was a nice sunny day, and we got through there in 12 hours, so we were quite happy with that. Yeah. So you hit, you hit that section during the day? Yeah. We, we didn't so you got lucky once. Yeah, we did. <laughs> Once we missed that cutoff on Wednesday, mm-hmm. we sort of knew that um, um, all we had to do was make the mountain bike next cutoff on Friday morning. So yeah. time, for once, was, didn't appear to be too much of an issue. So when we finally got down to the TA at, uh, um, from the mole trek at 10 in the morning, we mm-hmm. um, we actually uh, did some foot repair and such things, um, dried out gear. Um, actually got an, an hour's sleep um, and then headed off in the afternoon so it was a pretty leisurely afternoon and such things and, and then we did that bike ride up to Owen Valley so um, and we actually got um, up there about 9 o'clock 10 o'clock at night and set up 10 and we decided that we weren't going to gain much by leaving at 3 in the morning so we actually uh, got up at 5 and and headed away by six and that turned out pretty good because we got across the farmland and got onto the correct ridge really well and we did eventually finish with a team who started at three in the morning and so our call that we weren't going to gain much by leaving at three in the morning was probably correct so we got a good night yeah. to sleep on Wednesday um, but our refocus and our new goal was to push really hard on the last three legs and try and get through the last three legs without any sleep and the first part of that was the trek, um, the shortened trek around um, Mount Owen, um, mm-hmm. but the abbreviated version obviously, um, and the fact that we knocked that out in 12 hours was quite pleasing and meant that we got on the bikes in the evening. Yeah. So, well, and I, I can see, we have a place here, Harney Peak, which is the high point in the Black Hills, but there's a little, little peak to the south of it, and I like going there better because you get a better view of the mountain. So yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna say that was a win for you guys. Yeah, it was, and I think hats off to the um, Warren and the course designers, you know, probably Ian as well. Where yeah. um, you know the short course wasn't just a you know shortcut back to the finish line sort of thing. It was still interesting, yeah. it was still challenging, and it was still a lot of fun. So yeah. um, as I say, I don't feel we missed out on a heck of a lot really, and. Yeah, we still had our goals and we were still pushing hard and, and trying to get through the course as quick as we could. Yeah. So did you uh, make the whole last three days without sleep or did you end up having to crash a little bit? Yeah, we, we got I'd say we got through the trek on the Thursday really well um, and got on the bikes on Thursday evening, headed off um, on the bikes and made really good progress through to the back of Mochawaka. Um, there was a family there with a little stand happening and they were doing teas and coffees and apples and biscuits and such things and we thought it would be rude not to stop so yeah so we stopped there and had a chat with them about 10 o'clock at night and, and they were lovely lovely people and 
got some photos and bits and pieces with them and headed off and only about 20 minutes later um, Alison's daughter turned up with a pizza um, which probably is not really the done thing but we were already unranked and on short course so I don't think it really mattered too much and uh, yeah. so we had a snack there and we thought oh yeah great well we're all charged up and ready to go and we got to the Takaka Hill which is I think about a 700 metre climb um, it's, and it's, it's a long drag I think it's probably got yeah. 8Ks or something and unfortunately for poor old Roscoe he, he bonked and mm. he just got to the bottom of that hill and he could barely face it and and, uh, and wasn't in a good space and, and Grant put him on the tow rope for a little while for the first couple of Ks I guess and, and we got going and probably the bottom part, part was the worst but by this stage Ross just couldn't face it and he decided to walk so we basically walked up the Tarkaka Hill in the end um, and we did find a, a dock car park at one stage which is Department of Conservation um, the little mm-hmm. car park there and we, we thought oh well, look maybe we should have a sleep and, and we'll feel better in a couple of hours time so I rolled in under a hedge and we, we found Ross a perfectly good public toilet which was sheltered and warm and sleep but um. And it doesn't come much more luxurious in, a, in an adventure race, but um, I think Ross's headspace wasn't quite right, and he, and he decided that it wasn't going to work, so we headed off again. So we still didn't get any sleep and pushed on, um, and finally got to the top of the Tarkaka Hill. But we essentially, people probably think we had a good sleep that night, but we it took us six hours to cover 20 kilometres um, yeah. before we got to, to the top of the hill. Yeah, well, it's a it's it's a big hill, especially uh, six, seven, eight days later, or five days, whatever it was. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. It was five days down the track, and you know, obviously yeah. sooner or later someone was going to hit the wall, and unfortunately for Ross, it was his turn. And um, yeah, yeah and, and as a team, we tried to get through it, and we tried to help him out in bits and pieces, but nothing much was mm-hmm. really working. It was just very, very slow progress. So. Um, but we got to the top of the hill and we got to the end of the dirt road just before the single track started. We actually found there's an outdoor pizza oven with a shelter over the top of it. And um, yeah. it was by this stage about four in the morning. And we thought rather than tackle the single track at four in the morning, we're probably better off getting two hours sleep. So yeah. we put the, the tent fly down on the ground and just curled up there for a couple of hours and, and uh, got some sleep before we tackled the single track, which... Um, I must have been still half asleep because I didn't cope with that very well at all. I crashed like <laughs> seven times, um, and it was kind of my turn to lose the plot a little bit, <laughs> a bit <Yeah. laughs> with Grant and and, uh, and such things. So yeah, it was a little bit slow going through there. But once we got through there, we were fine, and and we pushed on, and we ended up getting to the transition into the kayaks about probably about twelve o'clock, I think eleven thirty, twelve o'clock. So while we didn't sort of knock off the three legs without stopping, um, we were still giving it a pretty honest, honest nudge. Yeah, I mean you're you, you're still racing, right? Yeah, you're competing against yourself, so yeah, still moving forward. That's what it takes, right? Yeah. Always constant, constant forward movement. Yeah. So, um, was it? What was your feeling when you finished? I mean, you probably had a little disappointment, but you also just did a, a hell of an adventure. Yeah, I think it's always relief to a degree, mm-hmm. but it's kind of uh, mixed emotions. It's you almost sad that it's over. Yeah. And at the same time, you're kind of glad that it's over. Um, 
So, yeah, definitely mixed emotions. I mean, we were really pleased with the last kayak. Um, I think we actually only took us four and a half hours, so our time was actually very, very good on that because we had two decent kayaks. Yeah. Um, but we ended up, because we got away at one o'clock or called to one in the afternoon, um, we ended up with quite a strong tailwind and the last couple of kilometres actually um, were quite rough and choppy and uh, Grant and Ali almost missed the bay into Kaiteri Terry and were head, heading off across and we had to whistle out to them and <laughs> turn back in but um, yeah the fact that we did push through Thursday night was, was worthwhile because a lot of the other teams that we were short course with that we saw on the last trek um, they most of them seemed to have a sleep on Thursday night and didn't actually get on the kayak on Thursday or a couple of teams got caught and had to sleep on the beaches um, yeah. so for us to actually push through and finish on the Friday was quite pleasing um, but ultimately I guess the feeling once we actually got to the finish line was just disappointed that our race yeah. had gone to plan basically and that once again we were short coursed and, and didn't manage to do the full course well, and this isn't really fair to ask, but going to go next year? Um, I've got to say no, because okay. my wife won't let me. <laughs> I've, <laughs> I've got three teenage kids, and yeah. uh, it is it is quite expensive. Um, yeah. It's down in the South Island, again, is, doesn't really help us North Islanders too much, because yeah. it really is. It's an extra day of travel e- either way. Um, and you know you got the ferry crossing, which is another five or six hundred dollars um, and such things. So, um, but no, we've I've had two two goes at it, and yeah. I'm pretty lucky that the family are understanding and have allowed me to do that. So, um, while I you can never say never. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, that's true. It, it won't be next so. year anyway. Put it that way. Yeah. Well, you know, sometimes things like that are better. Not to do every year, because then it just becomes, you know, it's what you do every year. So, yeah, uh, you know, you, you get that anticipation for a couple of years and you you get really excited about it again. So, um, yeah, I think it's a little bit yeah. of location as well. Um, yeah. I mean, a lot of people get excited about Wanaka and Queenstown and down around those regions. And, I mean, it, to be honest, I haven't spent a lot of time down there myself. So, I mean, it should be something that interests me, but. When two years ago it was in Kaikoura, um, that was mm-hmm. a real draw for me. Um, and then this year being in Nelson, Tasman, I guess it's a little bit quicker and easier for us to get to from the North Island because it's yeah. it's only two and a half hours away from the ferry crossing. Um, but once again, it's it, I guess it's just a slightly different area or it's a little bit more varied. Um, so you know, it's quite a good good area to go and explore. But- yeah, well, it's kind of interesting because I think a lot of people just, well, myself would think, well, it's, you're, it's in New Zealand. How hard can it be to get to, you know, whether you're on the north or the south? But, I mean, it's not a you're, – you're, you're a small country, but you're not that small. Yeah, no, to a degree, our roads aren't that great either. And, and yeah. they're quite windy and narrow in, in a lot of places. And I, I remember an American rugby team came out here one time and, and they were like, Man, why don't you just put a goddamn freeway down through there? <laughs> well, we just don't have the population, so we have these yeah. narrow, skinny little yeah. roads everywhere. And um, yeah, I mean, to get down to Queenstown from the ferry crossing, I think is probably a good eight, if not ten hours. 
yeah. solid driving. So, you know, it's a whole day travel on its own. Yeah. You know, yeah, wherever so. you are in the North Island down to the ferry crossing. So um, it can be almost two days. Yeah. So it's like, hell, I can get there from South Dakota quicker than you can. Yeah. Yeah, the distance <laughs> sometimes isn't that great. It's that ferry crossing where, you know, you got to get there an hour and a half beforehand and then it's a four-hour sailing and then, you know, sort of, it just kills half the yeah. day. So it makes it yeah. a lot longer. Yeah, well, that's interesting. So, um, All right, well... I'm done with this, but this, uh, it's very cool. I'm glad you shared it because I think it, your story really uh, illustrates what happens, the, the compounding. So I think it's a good, you know, people will understand now why you can be upset when you lose an hour, you know. Yeah. It's only an hour. Well. It's even the minutes. And as I say, we traveled badly on that Sunday and it's just, it just starts to add up. And like, you lose those minutes, you don't get them back. And, yeah, yeah, and that is the whole factor. And and as I say, we missed that track junction by about a kilometre, probably half an hour, forty minutes. If we'd been that yeah. bit further ahead, so it wasn't yeah. necessarily our mistake that we made, but just we travelled slowly that day. If we'd travelled a little bit quicker, we would have made that track junction. We would have got closer to the Red Hills, and we would have carried on along that course. Um, yeah, uh, because we got caught up on that ridge and that storm. And it doesn't sound like the weather was as bad elsewhere, but just right up on that ridge. Was well, yeah, you, yeah, you're up there, and you're up there in the shit. Yeah, it was sixteen hundred meters. I think we were sitting at, which is a bit over yeah. five thousand feet, and and it was exposed, and it was, yeah, it was like freight train going past. So, yeah, that, that compounding factor, it's probably the biggest thing, and yeah, yeah, just, I guess things just didn't go well for us, and you know, we made some fundamental basic mistakes, and particularly one that we should never have made. So, and I think that's the hardest thing. I think people have asked me how I feel physically, and it's like, physically, I feel fine. We felt really, really good. I felt better on day four and five than we did on day two. But um, I think it's the mental damage that's going to be the hardest to get over because, you know, we just made such a stupid mistake that should never have happened. Yeah. So, you know, psychologically, getting over that, I think, is, is actually a heck of a lot tougher than losing the toenails. Yeah. Well, that's cool. All right, well... Then I'm going to sign off, and then we'll chat a little bit more. I love when I do this to people listening. They don't get to hear the the, the other stuff we talk about. So um, thanks for the chat. Everybody else, don't compound your mistakes, but go fast and take chances. And thanks for listening. Yeah. Cheers, Randy. So.